Today, we continue in this Advent season, reflecting on four distinct streams, all leading to the coming of our King Jesus. This morning, we look at the hopeful heart through the life of the shepherds, and we'll light our third Advent candle. Now for our reading. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel with a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for leaving heaven and moving into our neighborhood. We thank you that in the darkness of the world, no matter what comes, you are the light that shines through. For the hurting today, would you bring healing? For the doubtful world, would you bring assurance? For the lonely, would you bring comfort? In the chaos, would you bring peace? And in the mundane, would you show your purpose? Lord, for all of us, would you fill our hearts with hope today, a living hope that is only made possible in and through you, Jesus. To all honor and glory is given. Amen. All right. Good morning. Thank you, Huntleys. All right. Yeah. I like it. All right. It's gross outside. You can see it, um, but don't let it get you down. It's good to be here. It's good to be worshiping with you. Uh, my name is Drew. If you're a guest, I'm one of the pastors here, and we've been walking through Advent. And so far, we've looked at um, the humble heart. We've looked at the steadfast heart. And today, we're going to take a glance at the hopeful heart and what this all means for us. Hope. Hope. Think about that word. This is a word that's actually used far and far less in our culture. I'm not making this up. It's not my opinion. It's actually a fact. And a recent survey uh, done by the American Association of Public Opinion found some really interesting things when they surveyed people on worry compared to hope. Here's what they found. They found that 55% of Americans said this, that they were extremely worried in life compared to only 18% that said they were hopeful. And in this, another staggering number came out. 26% of Americans, so a little bit over a quarter, said, nothing makes me hopeful, right? 
The survey concluded that hope seemed to be in our culture, here in our country, at an all-time low. And hope is really this interesting thing. It's this critically important, multifaceted concept that can bring about different things, even different feelings or emotions within us. It can feel dangerous at times. It can feel distant at times. It can feel fleeting. It can feel forgotten. Hope. Yet, it resides in each of us. It does. It's in our very DNA. And every single day, we are choosing where to functionally or who to functionally place our hope in, no matter what age you are. This is true for you if you are a child. This is true for you if you are in high school, if you're in college, if you're older than that, if you're my age, if you're older than that. Um, This is true for us, that it is in our very DNA. We're deciding where to place our greatest functional hope, meaning not just what we know in our heads, but what we're actually living out in our lives. Now, if you know me, you, you know that um, I am directionally challenged. What I mean is I need my phone to tell me where I'm going, even if I've been there a lot. Laura would confirm this. Uh, we've got lost a number of times. And I'm just going to say, for the very first time on Friday, uh, Silas was out of town. He was with the grandparents for three days, which was, was wild. So it's like, what do we do? What, what happens now? It's too quiet. Um, we went downtown for a little date, and it was the first time, I'm going to admit, in, in four years that I did not use my phone to get to King Street. Um, been down there a hundred times, and Laura even asked, like, you sure you don't need your phone? I was like, I think I finally got it. I think I figured it out. I'm really well-intentioned, but I get easily turned around, right? And I think that's actually true for a lot of us when it comes to this concept, is we're really well-intentioned, but we can get easily turned around. And so in a world, the world that we live in, this real world, day in and day out, filled with chaos, filled with division, we know it, filled with busyness, especially this time of year, with pain, with confusion, with doubts, even at sometimes just a lack of clarity, we desperately need hope, but not just some run-of-the-mill, cheap, you know, hope that we pop like a pill to calm our nerves. We need something better. We actually hunger for something more. And today in this amazing passage, this amazingly beautiful, simple passage. We see hope come in the most unexpected way to the most unassuming people. And this is good news for all of us. So let me pray and then we'll walk through this portion of Luke 2 together. Jesus, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your love. I pray that you would speak to us now no matter where we are, no matter what age we are, no matter what we came in with, no matter what's on our heart. Um, God, you know us and I thank you for that. You know our hearts. You know what distracts us. You know what pulls us in different directions. And so for these moments, for these next minutes, through the power of your living word, would you allow us to do something? Would you allow us to take a breath? To actually pause and to ponder your very word, your very birth, this very account and what it means for us. So we thank you for this, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, you ready to go? I knew I should have asked that as soon as I thought about it, but um, still, you know what? We're, uh, we're going to roll through um, this passage, and in the, in the uh, rain, um, we're going we're gonna to see what God has for us here. Um, Luke 2, here's where we're going to start, verse 8. In the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, 
and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So in the same region, so close by where Jesus has just been born, in this no-name little town of Bethlehem where nothing important happens, where no one of prominence comes from, Jesus is born. And we have these shepherds in this field, and what are they doing? They're literally just doing their job. They're doing what they did every day and every night. If you want to talk about the mundane of life, the shepherds, it is the same thing every day. Watching sheep that are not very intelligent, making sure they eat what they need to eat, don't wander off, and don't get attacked by other animals. That's literally their life. And so they're doing this, and you can imagine what happens here. I mean, imagine this scene. They're not expecting any of this. They're watching after these sheep in the darkness of night, it says, and then all of a sudden, an angel appears. Not the normal day-to-day deal. An angel shows up, and it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them, literally meaning, and this is not just happening, but it's showing us something deeper, that in the darkness of night, the light of God breaks through and lights up the sky with this amazing message. And what's their response? What do they do? It says, fear. Fear came over them. Fear, what's going to happen? What's this angel going to say? What's this angel going to do? See, angels were seen as messengers of God, but angels didn't always bring a great message, especially not to shepherds, not to people like this. You see, in ancient Israel, shepherds, They were the unclean because of the work that they did. They were in daily contact with dirty, smelly sheep, their manure, blood, scrapes, um, insects buzzing all around them. Shepherds were almost never clean enough to worship with God's people or be in God's presence. They were treated as complete outsiders. This is so important to know this. When I think about fear... And I think about bringing this into our lives. I I think about the two greatest fears that that we really have, even as humans. We have this great fear of being exposed. And we have this great fear of being alone. Being exposed. I'm afraid that you might, I'm afraid of what you might think of me. Of how you might look at me. How you might treat me if you truly knew me. My pain my struggles, my baggage, my past. And we also have this incredible fear of being alone. This is my greatest fear as a human, started as a kid. This fear of being alone, and it would come in different forms and fashions, and maybe it's done this with you, and it can be this really very real, tangible fear that you deal with or that you walk through. And and a lot of times, these two can go hand in hand. If you really knew me, you would leave me. And if you think about these shepherds and knowing what we know about them, for these shepherds, this is how their community looked at them. This is how they would have treated them. So why would God be any different? Because God is completely different. This king is completely different. So here's what happens. The angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you in this day, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And suddenly, imagine this, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those whom he is well pleased. What we see is fear moved to joy. Fear moves to joy. For the humble, receptive heart, God takes our worst fears. Think about it. Dig into your heart right now. You know it. He takes our worst fears and he replaces it with great joy. The fear of failure, the fear of our past haunting us, the fear of falling on our face, the fear of being rejected, the fear of being alone. This is what the gospel, as the angels are talking about, the good news does time and time again. And it's not because we deserve it. And it's not just for a select few. You know what I love about this encounter right here? You know what I love about this? The shepherds weren't out looking for God. God finds them. (laughs) The shepherds didn't just go out this night and you just said, you know what I think would be interesting? I think if maybe we just pondered some of those Old Testament passages that we've heard and we look for God tonight. No, they're watching the sheep. But all of a sudden God shows up in their mess and their stinkiness and all of it and he finds them. And so he does with you. This is the beauty and grace of God that he reaches down in our mess and he finds us. It's not a 50-50 thing. We don't reach up to God enough and then he reaches down to us enough. And if, if we do good enough or if we love him enough or if we're faithful enough, he says, no, 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 you were dead in your trespasses. I'm gonna go 100% and reach down into the mess, move into your neighborhood and I'm gonna pull you out. I'm gonna give you hope. I'm going to give you hope that no matter what comes, no matter what tomorrow looks like, I'm going to give you a hope that's deeper, that isn't simply circumstantial. That's what God does time and time and time again. And what I also love about this is who does he reach down to? Not for good people, not for rich people, not for young people, for old people, for white people, for black people, for men or for women. What does it say? And this is great news for all people inaugurating this new kingdom that doesn't even have doors on it (laughs) where you can come in and you can find hope and you can find a home. This is the heartbeat of God. This is the heartbeat of the baby born nearby. This is what was on the heart of the baby who had not yet even spoken his first words. It was the heart of humanity and to bring them a living hope. This would be the good shepherd for the shepherds. The one who would offer protection to the outcast, love to the unlovable, and forgiveness to the broken. From the mouth of the angels, the prince of peace, the hope of the world, not an earthly peace, not a circumstantial peace, not the peace that you're going to find out there that's not real, but it's really counterfeit, not the hope that you're going to try to be offered out there, but it's really fleeting and it's surfacing. No, no, no. A lasting covenantal peace with the power to settle even the most restless heart. That's what Jesus will offer. This baby born in the city of David through the line of David, this promised king, he will be a very different type of king. How do we know it? Because of how this is ushered in. See, the question here is why? Why would an angel sent from God come to the shepherds first? I'll be honest, these are the least likely to succeed. These are the last picked or not picked at all. 
If you were going to bring in a kingdom and a king was going to be born, you know who you'd go to first? The political elite, those with status, the movers and the shakers. So why the shepherds? Why? Because this is who Jesus came to save. Not a single person is above God's grace and not a single person is below it. Don't let anyone feed you that lie, even yourself. It's so critically important that the shepherds are the first ones that are invited to meet Jesus because it means we're all invited to meet Jesus. This baby born, this king for all people, And for the first time in their life, imagine this, these lowly, outcast, outsider shepherds experience something that has probably set dormant within them. Hope. Hope. Hope that cried out with each angelic verse from the angels that night, you belong. There's a place for you here. You matter. You have value. You are seen. So much so that God has just moved into your neighborhood and now it's time for you to go and say hello. And that's exactly what happens. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Now, when I read this, I often imagine a conversation that's not here in the Bible. So don't throw stones at me. This is just in my mind, right? Don't be like, that's not in the Bible, Drew. Um, This isn't. But I imagine this conversation that would take place between these shepherds and what they could have said here, something that could have kept them back, held them back from even going and meeting Jesus. And, And here's what I imagine them saying to one another. We have nothing to bring this Christ We can't go. We can't show up empty-handed. But we have nothing to take. We have nothing to offer. If this is really the king, if this is Christ the Lord, we have no business being there. And this can hold us back. And I'm not just talking about the first time you come to Jesus. I'm talking about every time you come to Jesus or we should come to Jesus. This can hold us back. This idea of, you know what? I think I need to kind of get things together first. I think I need to kind of fix some aspects of my life first. I think I need to actually take care of this. And then if I can't do it, then maybe I'll come to Jesus. Or you know what? I've been told this all my life. And I really think my past has put me in a place where I feel like, yeah, I'm just too broken for that. I'm too broken for him. I need to kind of keep my distance. We get caught in these places. But here's what I love about God. And here's what I love about Jesus. And here's what I love about this account. Is it screams, come as you are. Come as you are. Not the cleaned up version. Not the polished up version. In the same way that God reaches down and he finds the shepherds as they are we are invited to come as we are with all of our doubts, with all of our frustrations, with all of our pain, with all of our hurt, with all of our questions, with all of our joys, with all of it. Jesus is continually saying, come as you are. Bring it to me. I want to invite you in. And so they went. They didn't only go. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. 
And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told him, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in their heart. I love that they went with haste. You don't sit on good news. (laughs) This is the greatest news that the shepherds have heard, and so they run to the manger of Jesus. They run to see this king. That's what happens when you come face to face and you encounter Jesus. You don't sit on it. I love that Mary piece here. Mary knew. Now, she didn't know the details, but she knew and she trusted that what the angel had shared with her previously was true. That her son, this baby, would be the long-expected king and his kingdom would have no end. But the hope that she had didn't negate the pain that would come. Imagine the rest of Mary's life. Imagine the next 33 years as she watches her son ridiculed, as she watches her son uh, go from town to town without a place to call his home, living as an unhoused neighbor. Imagine this pain that's going to come. This doesn't negate this. And so when we talk about hope in the church, and we talk about joy, and we talk about peace, and we talk about all these things this time of year. Uh, it can sort of be like pouring salt on a wound for some. Because you hear it, but it actually stings a bit because you know your real life. You know the loss that you faced this year. You know that this new year might be harder than the last. You know the family struggle you have. You know the financial struggle you have. You know the relationship with your kids and trying to figure all that out and trying to... You know the parents that you have that are aging and you love them and you're trying to figure out what to do there. You, You know all of these things and so hope can feel very distant. It can feel sort of like a very far off dream or a wish. I totally get that. I totally get that. And I think it's inappropriate for us to talk about hope and not recognize this, that that we can have this hope while at the same time being honest about what's really happening in our life. God doesn't want us to hide these things. He wants to actually illuminate them and give them better perspective. To say this is not it, there is something better, there's something more, and I want to wrap you up in it. That's why Jesus offers us something better. Here's the big idea for today that I just want us to think about and I just want us to maybe hold on to for a bit that the hope Jesus offers doesn't live on the surface of circumstance. It lives in the depths of promise. The promised king, the Messiah that generations have waited for, this king for all people, not just the Jewish people, but the Gentiles alike. And in this account, we already start to get a glimpse of what's to come, this promise fulfilled and kept. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was uh, 99% was not placed in a wooden manger. Ooh, you're like, oh, time to return that nativity scene in my front yard. Really? Yeah, and Joseph was probably uh, most likely not a wood carpenter. Um, If you know the region, uh, wood was very few and far between. Most likely uh, a stone carpenter, a stonemason. And Jesus, most likely, 99% likely, placed in a stone manger, this feeding trough for the animals. 
I don't know if you've ever slept on stone, but it's very uncomfortable. There's discomfort even at Jesus' birth. This discomfort that will continue as this promise is fulfilled and kept. There are so many things that we see even in this account that point us to what's to come. This baby put in this stone manger that would grow up to be a man that would give his life and be sealed by stone in a tomb. This baby that's swaddled in cloth at birth will be swaddled and wrapped in cloth at death. With great haste, the shepherds come to meet the baby, the Christ, and with great haste, Peter runs to the tomb after Jesus' death to find that he's no longer dead but alive. All of these little things surrounding Jesus, pointing to Jesus as our greatest hope, the one who was born to die for you and for me, the greatest hope. So I would just encourage you this morning, don't put your hope in pleasure. Lord Byron, he lived a life of pleasure. He wrote, the worm and grief are mine alone. (laughs) Don't put it in money. Jay Gould, the American millionaire, had plenty of that. When dying, he said, I suppose I'm the most miserable man on earth. Don't be tempted to put your hope in position or fame, stature. Lord Beaconsfield enjoyed a lot of that, and he wrote, youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, and old age a regret. It's not very upbeat. Uh, Don't put it in power. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his day, and having done so, he literally wept in his tent because he said there are no more worlds to conquer. Here's what I'm saying. There has to be more. There has to be more. This is why Jesus left heaven and he stepped into our mess. God with us, Emmanuel. This is why Jesus would move from the cradle to the cross. Why? Out of love for you and for me, to offer hope to the lowly shepherd and the rich businessman alike. His mission is in his very name. Jesus, the one who will save people from their sins. He's the one that will bring justice into the unjustice, that brings healing to the one in pain, that offers a family to the orphan, that offers acceptance, not because of our goodness, but because of his greatness in the form of grace for all people. For anyone and everyone who says yes to Jesus and who says no to all the false hope and false security blankets that we're offered on a daily basis. And if Jesus is not enough, let me just tell you this, you will spend your life trying to fill up on things that will never be enough. And so let him be your hope. Let him be your living and lasting hope. The one that nobody can take away, even if life falls through on you, even if the last chapters of your life feel horrific, allow Jesus to step in and say, I know you, I see you, I'll step into the mess, I'll be with you, and I'll never leave you or forsake you. Give me your worst, let me give you my best. This baby, born to die offering us this living hope, the incarnate word of God, the prince of peace, the long-expected Jesus who is coming come and is coming again for his people. One that in the face of the chaos, the confusion, the frustration, the pain, and simply the mundane, says no matter what comes in me, you are safe, secure, known, and loved, even if the very foundation of the earth gives 
way. All is not lost because in me, in my very life, death and resurrection, fear turns to joy, joy turns to hope, and my hope will never fail you. Let it sink into your very being that what Jesus offers is so different than what we're being offered out there. This promise. And so this passage wraps up in an interesting way. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. You see this progression throughout this entire account. You see fear turn to joy. You see joy turn to hope. And you see hope turn to worship. And that's what happens when we encounter Jesus. He takes our fear. He gives us joy. That joy points to this living hope. And the only proper response is worship. I love it here. Worship. This is what happens when we encounter Jesus. But here's what the shepherds do. What do they do? They go back to the field. Seriously, they go back to work. See, the outward circumstances in their life haven't really changed. But their inward reality, everything's changed. Everything's changed in a way that no one could take away. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon as we wrap up. Let this one great, gracious, glorious fact lie in your spirit until it permeates all of your thoughts and makes you rejoice, even though you're without strength. Rejoice that the Lord Jesus has become your strength and your song. He has become your salvation. Church, we are the shepherds here. In all of our mess, as outsiders, sin had ravaged us. And yet a hope has come. A hope has come that even the darkest night cannot dispel. A hope that breaks through the darkness and shows a great light. The hope of Jesus, the long-expected King. We are the shepherds and we all have a place around the manger. And we all find hope at the foot of the cross. And so what do we do with this? Well, it depends. Maybe there are things that you just need to lay down and you need to pick up hope in Jesus. Things you need to actually give him. Say, I've been trying to do this. I've been trying to do that. I've been trying to fix this. I just need to give this to you. I need to trust that you have me, that you know me, that you have my family, that you're good. I'm gonna place my hope in you, not in my ability to try to turn things around, fix things or or all of that junk. Uh, Maybe it's just coming to him and saying, you know what, I've been hesitant to even come to you because I felt so unclean, I felt so shamed, I felt so condemned, but I'm seeing that that's not who you are, that you've come to bring hope, that you've come to bring life, and so I just want to bring my very self to you because I need you. Or maybe somebody comes to your mind right now, especially around this time of year. Maybe it's a family member who's far from Jesus. Maybe it's the person that everybody would say there's no hope for them. Would you be so audacious as to pray for them right now in this moment? For the neighbor who's far from Christ, for the coworker who's far from Christ, would we be so spurred to pray for those believing that Jesus will reach down and save, that they would experience the hope that we have, not because of our goodness, 
but because of his greatness. All glory be to Jesus, the baby born to die, for our good, for his glory, for a living and lasting hope, we pray. Amen.